You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I'm one of your hosts, Jason Wheeler. And I'm the other host, Roger Gaddis. We are joining you today from sunny southeast Nebraska at the uh, lodge, pronounced... Lead. Lead. Spelled lied. Okay. Roger has been trying to explain it to me, and I, I still haven't gotten there. But we're close. We're close to understanding it now. But anyways, we have a special guest today, which is... Really why we're here. Yeah. Why are we here in Nebraska? We're here for White Commercial's annual Summer Managers Conference that we do in different places all over the the country during the summertime. People like this time of year to get out and drive and see crops from the road. And I'm told from the road it doesn't matter also. So I don't understand it, but we do it. And we're here, and we're going to get it together. <laughs> we're going to get a bunch of people together talking about the grain business. That's what it's really about. Yeah, it's, but people it's love fantastic. to go look at crops and tell us, you know, drink a bunch of bush light and then tell us what it looked like. So that's we're going to hopefully get some of that during social time. But uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll. I think some guys actually flew in because that's Cordag Twitter how you do crop tours now. Yeah, that's that's true. You fly, but then you can rent a car to get to this place because you know out in the middle of. Uh, middle of nowhere's town it's true it's true well so thanks for that wonderful handoff jason and we're we are graced with the presence of a a really good friend of ours and and he's been a part of the white commercial family for a while and and we've known him around and and if you are a fan of the show and that probably means you spend some amount of time on ag twitter you have probably uh, encountered this personality yourself of course we're talking about mr colin wilson with uh, Dakota Plains Ag Center up in uh, the Great North. And uh, he is a team originator for DPAC. And uh, we're going to let him talk a little bit today about uh, what he uh, is experiencing up there with his customers, you know, working directly with the farmers, what kind of challenges, opportunities, uh, things are going on in his part of the world, uh, which has been roughly hit uh, this year, if anyone has, with the way 2019 has been. And we're also going to get into a little, a uh, few things about him personally and some stuff he's working on go- moving forward here with his uh, professional uh, development, if you will. So with that, Colin, thank you uh, for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Well, if you can make it through <laughs> through one of these interviews, that, that that shows your true loyalty to the podcast. So we, we appreciate you uh, uh, participating here for sure, and, and hopefully this won't impact your uh, perception or your your uh, <laughs> the way people view you anywhere out there in the greater community. Sorry you saw. caught us off guard with positive feedback on the podcast. That was weird. But <laughs> You've never had that. We, uh, yeah. We're still trying to recover, actually, right now. But uh, anyways, no, we, we it's... Uh, it's good, good to have you here. So, South Dakota, let's get some some fun stuff out of the way right quick. South Dakota, it's way up north, right? But it's called South. It's, Explain. It's directly south of North Dakota. Okay, mystery solved. Okay, I'm getting there. What now? What do you do when it's just cold all the time up there? Yeah, what? How how often can you be outside out there? What, what parts of the year? Uh, every day you could be outside. <laughs> 
Uh, How big old boy are you? Yeah, Jason. <laughs> Every this day. isn't on the script. Uh, I'm from Arkansas, man. I, I just this stuff. It's a mystery uh, to me. A lot of people do ice fishing or snowmobiling or, you know, a lot yeah, of no, farmers feed their cattle every day. That's a good thing. The cattle uh, still eat, even yeah. though it's cold, they don't hibernate up there. No, nope, huh? no. Nope. So there's plenty to do in the winter. Push snow, uh, <laughs> scoop your driveway. I'd, I'd happen to not have a snowblower, so I'd spend a lot of time scooping mm-hmm. snow with a shovel, which is good exercise. For mm-hmm. sure. It feels like that deserves a bless your heart. Um, but... So as much as fun as this is going into like this, we, we, we do have time constraints. And, and Randy is, as you know, the ultimate taskmaster of, uh, of the clock and of all things painful. So we're going to jump in here and talk a little bit about uh, what you're seeing out there. You know, the first thing we got here is what's a challenge it's, you see facing the industry and, you know, or just your part of the industry or industry at whole. Just lay out here. What do you? What's kind of a obstacle standing in our way? Well, uh, I've been part of the grain business just a very short time, maybe six, six and a half years. So uh, I might have a limited perspective. Uh, I know in our area or in our business, we talk a lot about there's no gimmies anymore. There's competition is fierce um, with all sorts of not just grain businesses, but uh, end users out there. So, um, I think one of the biggest challenges is getting over that mindset. I think the grain businesses, uh, relied heavily on geography being an edge. You know, if, if I'm five miles closer to that farm than my competition, I, maybe I have an edge to earn his bushel over the other guy. Uh, but because of 18 wheels and transparency of bids, uh, anymore that you can't take that customer for granted anymore. And, uh, so I like to think that I have to earn every bushel anymore. And, uh, that's a whole different mindset when you approach your customer than, Hey, that farm's been a customer of ours for X amount of years. You know, I don't really have to engage him that much. Uh, somebody else is if you're not. So, yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the grain elevator business ultimately is a service business. So, yeah, you have to be providing service and earning, like you said, earning the business. I think that's the probably the right approach to when you're in a service business. Yeah, and it kind of makes me think of the the whole topic of loyalty and and you've been in it, you know, long enough to know how contentious that subject gets with uh specifically grain buyers and grain sellers, you know, in this case, you know, the the say the elevator and the farmer. Um, when you have a long established farming operation and it's been in the same spot for 60 years, but what changes? Well, trucks change, equipment changes, but when, when decision makers change and I see this a lot and uh, like your feedback on it too, a little bit here, Colin, but is when the established longtime elevator originator is now dealing with farmer Joe's son, who's come back from college and is running things. And he doesn't have that relationship. And the first knee-jerk reaction is, these younger generation don't have any loyalty. I don't know that that's necessarily all the way true because it's a, it's a new relationship. You can't ride the coattails of the past one and expect the new generation to, to have the same relationship. You've got to build it. I mean, have you seen that or what's your take on that kind of thing? Yeah, I've seen that a lot. Uh, I think there's loyalty there. Um, 
the next generation has a different set of values, uh, not a different set of values, but they they value things differently uh, than maybe the previous generation um, that's kind of on their way out of agriculture, which really valued personal relationships and the um, the hometown team, that kind of thing. And uh, agriculture, because of mergers and uh, economies of scale of larger farms, it's a more of a regional type you know, you're doing business with the guy two towns over instead of the the guy where you send your kids to school with, you know. So uh, that's a different that's a different scenario. So just the economies of scale have forced farms to look a little further down. Um, and then um, I think the younger generation still is looking for they're they're putting together a team of people they trust, and uh, and with the internet. Or with, uh, you can build that team outside of your geographical location now, which is different than what it used to be. You know, the the local grain merchant used to have a lot of information that, you know, the farmer didn't have per se. But now with, you know, transparency of information, it's, um, you know, he can get that information somewhere else besides the local grain merchant. So I can see the rub there. Um you know, I'm, I'm the same age as a lot of those guys who are taking over decision rights on farms. So I've been able to connect with them. Uh, so that's been fun. Yeah. The, I mean, the 64 year old farmer has gotten there and it, like you said, built his team guys that he trusts and he know, you know, we've got the loyalty or whatever. Well, he, he had to figure it out at some point too, when he was 30, you know, and try to, and, and that's the same thing these guys are trying to do too. And like you said, you just have to connect with these guys and prove, and by the time they're 60, they will be loyal to you too. You know, it's, this is just a, it, it, we we try to single out oh these millennials or this this generation is so bad or different i well, know it's just it's just the the process every generation goes through we we got to got to establish themselves too so okay so with this relationship challenge are you seeing anything else out there in business today in your business uh, specifically that um is impacting these relationships going forward yeah i think you have to be uh, you have you have to give unique knowledge to the to to the grower and as a local grain merchant with the local knowledge of his market uh, you can give unique knowledge now you can get macro knowledge all over the internet so i think constantly drilling down what you can what you can propose and uh, bring to the farmer uh, is something that you constantly have to be um, reviewing and proposing out there and see what he responds to. Um, and we talk a lot about disruptors, uh, on Twitter and, uh, you know, it's been a conversation. Um, it seems like they've gone a little bit quiet lately, but I take a positive spew on the disruptors that they've, you know, really challenged the grain business, which is more of a legacy type business. It's, we've been around a long time. We have long histories with farms. Um, that it's challenged us to really think about what what value we bring to the marketplace. And uh, I've thought a lot about that. Um, and one thing that I always come back to is farmers grow a physical, tangible product and grain handlers handle a physical, tangible product. We're a delivery point and we provide that tangible service um, that a guy 
I'm going to get hate mail for this, but in Silicon Valley or Chicago can't handle that bushel in his office, you know, and, and there's always going to be a need for somebody to take delivery of that product at a delivery point. And the names will change on the signs of the company, but somebody's got to physically handle it. And there's got to be a logistical company to get it from where, what you guys talk about, where it isn't to where it's needed. So, uh, we got to really drill down on how to communicate that to the farmer. And that's something that I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah. And then you actually had that comment, almost those exact words on ag Twitter here, not too long ago about, you know, the, the name on the sign may change, uh, who owns the assets may change, but the skills needed to facilitate grain movement will never change. Those skills will always be needed. Yeah. I think one of the, and what white commercial does in teaching people how to merchandise grain, I think that is a skill that's going to be a, the marketplace will always need merchants to to make decisions uh, on grain movement and you know how to ration the crop all year long. I mean that's the job of, of a grain merchant. And what you guys do is I think it's very sustainable. Whether those skills flow down to the farm or whether they stay in a commercial's hands or an end user's hands, this merchandising skill set is always going to be valuable mm-hmm. in the marketplace. So, you know, that's what attracts me to white commercial is, you know, that education piece. That only take you to these lavish destinations in Nebraska sometimes, you know? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but what you're saying is right. Uh, we, as you know, white commercial has been around since the seventies and uh, Mr. White's tried to do it so that, so that folks, the stuff you talk about is is what folks in the business know to be true and 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 have seen it and understand it. But when you try to explain it to like academias and stuff like that, we've gone to colleges and said, "Hey, it'd be nice if when when uh, guys got out of college, they understood some of these concepts." You know, and if it, it was a very big struggle for a lot of years for to the point where they, they kind of backed off from it. We got a, a university of Arkansas they have a connection with and, but we've done our own thing. We got our own online education because it was so hard. And the reason is it's like, you're saying they, they say, well, yeah, okay. But that's, that's kind of simple and we can do that all on paper. But what Mr. White is always saying is, yeah, but somebody's actually has to handle the physical, like people have to eat. It has to get from the farm to the end user and to the table and all that stuff. And somebody in the middle has to do this. And they're like, well, that's so, you know, rudimentary. We, we don't, we don't want to mess with it. Well, you know, this is how the world works and nobody wants to, wants to mess with it. So no, that's, that's spot on. Uh, that's spoke to me like, like I'm sure it did to you, Roger. I'm speechless now. So moving on uh, um, from challenges, let, let's shift gears here a little bit to opportunities. What's uh, on the other side of the spectrum do you see uh, happening right now? Well, I think, I think uh, commercial grain profitability is, especially in beans, if our trade war, trade war continues, I think farmers, they're entrepreneurial. They're going to find different uses for their land. And different crops to grow. Um, so I, obviously I think for the grain company being a, a place to be able to handle those specialty crops and finding those niches, uh, which is difficult because there's, there's not futures markets for those things. There's, there's all sorts of risks involved in that. Uh, but, uh, I think 
there's probably opportunities to developing uh, niche markets for specialty crops. And I know people part of the white commercial family have done that in different parts. And, you know, some of your, you know, members have done that and that's cool to see. Uh, So I think that's something to watch out for, Um, especially if our beam program continues to be eroded because of trade. Um, we'll see that. Now, now speaking on that specifically, cause that obviously, I mean, where you guys are at, you guys are in bean train center of America, man. How, what, what's, yeah, I, that's gotta be a big, big thing on top of everyone's mind in your part of the world, you know, and, and what's, um, aside from, you know, switching to crops, at least in the 2019 crop, you're going forward. What are, uh, your guys thinking the farmers and, and your fellow, you know, originators and merchants, what, what is your thoughts on the beans going forward here? I'm not trying to ask for a price prediction or nothing, but just, um, are you, you think it'll be a struggle to make things go as normal or is it, is normal completely off the table right now? Normal's completely off the table. I, uh, yeah, where we, where we hail, you know, there's a shuttle loader every 30 miles that was built because of the, the bean program to export, beans to the west coast i mean that's that's why we exist um so uh yeah we've been doing a lot of thinking about what it looks like you know like all commodity product commodities they're cyclical so things will come back you know um um what do we do how do you guys teach it how do grain elevator make money you you buy basis you sell basis and you spread and you carry so um maybe we're holding maybe we're carrying more grain than we typically do. And, you know, the market has been uh, offering carry. So, you know, maybe we hold a little more grain than being empty going into harvest or things like that. So um, those are things we're thinking about, um, you know, um, depending on crop size and stuff is what you can do that. And you you got to keep your space available and your doors open for your customer who has a crop. So there's always a balance there, but those are some of the things we've been talking about. And it sounds like we're trying to veer back into the challenge territory, but you know, there's no, there's never opportunity without challenge. So that's, you know, it's good to see that, you know, and I think that's indicative of, of agriculture in general is constantly seeking that upside um, for our business, whether it's price production or whatever outlets, you know, we're, if we were a bunch of pessimists, we, w- we wouldn't last very long in this business. Yeah. And uh, the opportunities are uh, to help your customer. Cause like I said, the next generation is building their team and, um, they're looking for skills, merchandising skills, agronomy skills. They're looking for their edge. And if you can be that person to help them grow their farm and, um, and align with their farm and continue to add value year in and year out, I think that's something that we're trying to focus on, uh, is, you know, everybody says they have good customer service, right? Mm, so, oh yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that comes back to one of my philosophies. If you're doing best practices, you're average. So, you know, best practices are really the foundation and you have to try, uh, take small bets and do little things differently to see if you can get, you know, an edge, uh, that way, you know, so the, that's the cool part about my role being at Dakota Plains and Matt and Tyrone have let me kind of had freedom there and given me a space is we can try some different things and try to, you know, build on best practices and 
do things maybe a little bit outside of the box, and that's been really fun. Yeah, best practices is kind of like a minimum viable product type thing. It's, this is this is the, the low end of the bar, essentially. So yeah. we, don't, we don't want to dwell there. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that came up at one of your other meetings, um, you know, I used to be able to, when I started in the grain business, not very long ago, but uh, all these um, products or specialty contracts, and we offer those, and we feel there's a need for them. Um, um, we're needs-based, so we're, we're not out there, you know, shoving them down guys' throats. Their need, if, if there's a need, we, uh, you know, in this contract can, you know, help him execute on his bias, then that's when we provide it. But we used to be able to get meetings and get on farms because we had those products, and now they're just table stakes. You know, everybody's offering them. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, now it comes down to, goes back to the basics, uh, you know, location, your bid structure, you know, logistics, and how t- how well are you taking care of your customer, mm-hmm. you know. So um, I've kind of doubled down on that. Speaking of that, so just con- contact with your customers, right? So you, you head up the origination team there, and there's a, a few other originators, but you're the head of the team. And then... Um, you guys try to have regular contact with your with your customers via text, email, phone calls, and how often and what what are all your the goals above, are? Uh, you know, and really the farmer's preference. Sure. Uh, and we have enough, uh, for lack of a better word, personalities on our team where we've kind of been able to align guys with people they like to work with or different. You know, obviously my style is my style and some growers want a different style and we have, you know, so we try to align with, with that. Uh, Frequency is totally up to the customer, but we, you know, we do like to be uh, contacting them very regularly. Um, And we do, we do on farm, you know, and then we do text. We do, uh, we have one originator um, who started in the elevator and he'd really built, a nice following by the guys who walk in the elevator. So his customer base is the guys who like to walk in and do face to face inside the elevator. And he's has a real loyal following of that. And then we have guys like myself where we're serving guys that are 50 miles from the elevator. They don't come into the elevator. (laughs) So I go to their farm Mm -hmm. and we sit down, you know, and we build plans and then, there's guys that are, you know, more customers are more transactional. It's all phone calls, you know, uh, or text messages. Uh, so it's really the preference of the customer, but we are, uh, we're actively engaging our customers all the time. Meet the so, yeah. And I like to think that, and, uh, having been, you know, seen a couple of these cycles now myself that when we have these, uh, times of challenge, whether it be production, whether it be price, or this year, both, that those relationships, the, the bonds are really forged in these times. You know, high prices cover over a lot of relations, relational sins. And it's when we get in these, these challenging, tougher times is when, as the, as the, the originator, the merchant, the, the buyer, this is the time you, you make some solid value propositions and show your worth to your customers. This is huge because it's like you said, it's these little things that you can do different that, that really stands out. You know, when prices are high, everybody's paying a high price. It doesn't really matter. Times are good. But when the opposite's true, I, I think anyway, that's when the bonds are of, of loyalty are really forged. Yeah, I agree. 
So that being said, you obviously have a life outside of the, the elevators, well, Colin. So tell us a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, Colin Wilson when you take the, the Deepak hat off. Man, well, I have a wife and been married nine years and uh, we have two daughters and we built our family a little bit differently than probably a lot of people. We've uh, went the adoption route um, because uh, of infertility, uh, but uh, we we sought that out and we've got two adoptions and we have two little girls and that's been really satisfying uh, to build a family that way. Uh, not easy, <laughs> and uh, but uh, we've we've done it and we got two to the finish line and now we're really wrestling with how do we how do we raise these kids right? You know, like <laughs> all, probably all parents think about sure. You know, once you got them on the ground, you're like, okay, now what do we do? <laughs> but uh, so we we do that. We do a lot of family stuff. Um, um, we live in an area where we're close to family. So, um, and we have lots of nieces and nephews and our parents are still alive and well and active. So we, we do a lot of family stuff on the weekends and, uh, my wife's family, uh, farms. I, uh, now that we have our own family, I don't spend a lot of time out there, but I, I really enjoy, um, getting out there and working cattle and doing that kind of stuff. But I, seems like I got enough responsibilities at home now that I don't, I don't get the call as much anymore, but, uh, so, and then, um, so that's what I do with my family. I got a wonderful family. Um, the other thing I'd, you know, I, uh, I'm a real curious guy. And so I, you mentioned, uh, I, I, you know, kind of started this newsletter. Um, so, um, and that's just kind of an outlet for me to, to kind of propose my ideas out there and, uh, and get feedback and that's something that I really enjoy. So, so how long have you been thinking about this and, and for, uh, and, and we'll give a little detail on what it's called and stuff for yeah, the folks listening to yeah. go check it out. But how long had this been stewing? Cause I got to think it wasn't something you just woke up one day and decided it's to been do. stewing a while, you know, uh, um, long history, but I'm, I'm a systems guy. So I, I like to build systems or I like to plug into system like systems. Uh, so, uh, naturally, uh, um, as I've learned grain marketing and watch uh, a lot of grain transactions and I'm responsible for buying 7 million bushels of grain a year, you know? So uh, the cool thing about humans is we, as you do enough things over and over again, you start developing rules or principles. Um, So I think probably from the beginning, I've been kind of building this set of rules to how to market grain. Um, So, and this winter I kind of started putting it down on paper and, uh, and, and really thinking about it. And so I, uh, kind of created something and I shared it with some people. Um, I shared, shared with Phil Luce, mm-hmm. uh, and, uh, and some other people that I trust, um, some mentors in the industry. And I got some feedback that, it, uh, uh, it was long and people don't <laughs> read books. And, uh, they listen to podcasts, yeah. thankfully. Yeah, thankfully. Uh, so, Please send money. Uh, so, and one one guy, you know, said, if I had had this, I would just piecemeal it out in like a newsletter or a blog. And uh, so, uh, so uh, that's kind of my plan is to, and the cool thing about uh, social media and uh, is you get f- feedback or you get, you get feedback if your ideas are worth it. Mm-hmm. crud 
mm-hmm. and uh or if they're not yeah you know so uh so that's kind of the idea out there is to um and i don't have a farm so i need to be able to propose the idea to have somebody apply it mm-hmm. and see if it actually works uh and then a lot of it is best practices but some of it is maybe something that i've enhanced mm-hmm. to see if it'll work but uh so that's kind of the idea about behind it i don't have a huge expectation about it but it's something that's uh keeps the motor turning upstairs and that's probably mainly what i'm after so i think it's fantastic that that you've been able to take an idea and and put it in a form that is shareable and can reach so many people like you said social media for its drawbacks for its downfalls for its times it makes you pull hair out sometime you know the real the real benefit i see of it is is that feed that just what you said that feedback you will get feedback you and i consider it honest feedback plus or minus as as much or more than you would face to face with with some folks, you know. So I think it's a great tool for that. It's a to disseminate inf- inf- information, which unfortunately we get a lot of bad information disseminated too. But anyway, if, if you can once you can get the point where you can filter it out, then you see the value of it, and then a you know a project like what you're working on comes out, and uh, it's there's gonna be a lot of eyes on it, and it's gonna help some people. I like to think you know it's someone's gonna see it, and hey, I'll give this a try. Yeah, I've I've seen it. I've seen lots of good feedback on on Twitter from it from everybody we follow, and uh, just mainly good feedback because ultimately people are not monsters most of the time. But every once in a while, you get a guy with nineteen followers that wanna that wants to you know go at you. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, but but I don't know if you've had any of that. But but I see it from time to time with with other folks on Twitter. So, Colin, what what are we talking? What's this product we keep mentioning here? What what is it? Where can people find it? And and uh, what do they how do they get their hands on it? Well, you can follow me on Twitter at uh, Colin J Wilson. Uh, on that's my Twitter handle, and you'll there'll be a link to the newsletter on there, uh, and it's called the the Grain Marketing Stack, <clears throat> and uh, the the first blog post kind of uh, outlines why I call it that, um, and uh, and there'll be more to come. Uh, I'm kind of going to propose my ideas out there in random, and then maybe uh, later on, kind of package it together and and uh, throw it out there and 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 see. So, but right now, I'm just really getting. Uh, I told you I like systems, and one of the systems that I like is the scientific method, where you ask a question, then you come up with a hypothesis, and then you have to test test it. Right? Uh, Randy shaking his head. I like that. Uh, he gets it. Randy he gets, gets everything. It. Yeah, he's, he's great. Uh, so that's part of it is throwing it out there to see if 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 it really catch on. And if it doesn't, great. I can move on and do something else and try something else. So sure. Well, I for one love the pyramid, the concept in there as opposed to the old pie chart. I'm just gonna put that out there. If you want to disagree, meet me on Twitter. But I I love the. I love that thinking and the the way the weighted portion of the decision making. And and for those of you that have no idea what I'm talking about, go check it out because that, that was that was a kind of an epiphany moment for me because it verified the things that I've seen back in my day at the elevator of how much weight that first bushel has to the decision making process of a producer versus the consecutive bushels that come in, and especially that last one. Yeah. Oh, it's a world of difference. The first bushel sold and the last bushel sold are are worlds apart in importance and in, in emotional weight and all these other things. Yeah, the the stake as I like to say, the stakes get higher 
as you have to make more decisions as you move up the pyramid. And, uh, and I, I've sat down with farmers and I've, I can sense the emotion and, and what they're wrestling with. And it doesn't get easier as you move up and make more decisions. And, uh, you know, I, it's not that easy. And I think the pyramid describes what, Mm -hmm. what's going on in between, you know, when they're making a decision. So, and I like to talk a lot about decision-making and how we can make it better. Mm -hmm. I've really tried to study decision-making and, uh, and it's so, you know, part of a, I'm not, I'm not out there predicting markets or ranges or USDA reports (laughs) or acres. What I'm really trying to do is to, here's a system or a process that can help you make a better decision. And that's really what I'm after. Beautiful. So that's what we need more of in this industry. If anything is that decisiveness. Yeah. System, a pattern, you can make decisions apart from emotion. I mean, that's, that's the biggest thing. Let's take it out of it. I, I really connect with the white commercial educational mission and I got to meet Mr. White maybe one time. Um, but I, his story is really interesting, uh, and he he was in Chicago, right? And he realized that the ABCDs were trading basis, and the guys in the country were, you know, just back to back in it. So he took basis trading knowledge and education to the country elevator, and uh, and I I just I like that, and you come to these conferences and you see people that started with a couple bins and now they have four or five locations, like real entrepreneurs, you know, in the grain business, you'll see at these conferences. And, um, that's really cool. So I think, so I really connect in align with Mr. White's vision and you guys carried on very well. Uh, but I also, I think there's another wave of, you know, that information from the ABCDs flowing down the country elevator. I think, that merchandising information is flowing down another down channel, another to the producer. And that's another reason why, you know, I started this newsletter is I think they're looking for merchandising skills. Um, and some, somebody's not providing that yet, you know, and I'm not saying I'm gonna, I'm just saying I'm, maybe I'm going to do it my way a little bit, but, uh, uh, so I see that. So I really connect with Mr. White's vision and what he did and how he built the company. And, and you guys, um, and when you listen to like Phil Luce talk, you know, he knows, you guys know your mission and what you're doing out there, to, you know, and you don't sway from that. And I, I appreciate that. So well, it's kind words. And we, we sure, there's a big shoes to fill Mr. White and we'll never fill it, but we sure try to try to slip as many feet in there as we can every now and then. So, so I started in the grain business with poet as a DDG merchant and uh, I didn't know anything. And I, uh, I had three plants and I was the truck DDG dry and wet merchant in the East in Indiana. And for about six months later, uh, after I started, my teammate got called up for guard duty. So I now had seven plants that I merchandised for. And then, uh, a, a guy quit and I took, so I had eight plants of the 27. So wow. I was, I was trading one of the largest positions in the company at the time. 
so I had to develop a system. Um, so I did that. But the other thing that I, my customers were feed mill merchant procurement merchant, like profession, like these guys were, you know, they were buying like 20 ingredients, 50 ingredients for rations and, uh, you know, Tyson, Purdue, you know, all the big, uh, out East, all those guys. And they were, these guys were brilliant. And I didn't know what they were talking about when they were talking about basis. They were talking about soybean meal basis and this and that. So I was like, I need to learn their language. So I, I got online and I, I searched for a book and I found the art of merchandising by Don White. And I read that book and it helped me. And one thing I learned uh, from the book was making offers. I learned how to make offers. So I don't know if you know anything about DDGs, but a lot of plants go from fire sale to running out of product. Right, right. Um, and when you have eight plants, you can, when you're, you, uh, that can easily be done. So what I learned from Mr. White was to make an offer. And so I started making offers to these guys and uh, start, uh, you know, availability. And and I learned arbitrage because I had eight plants. I could make sure they sure. had product. Uh, but I learned that and I developed a really good customer base because I was out there in the marketplace making offers. And the buyers got smart. They would just wait for fire sales, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, over time, you know, they like the so I learned that from Mr. White. So fast forward a couple of years after I was into that, my wife wanted to we wanted to move back closer to her family, and uh, so anyways, that's how I got connected with Dakota Plains. Matt Winsand mm-hmm. interviewed me, and I told him I said I don't know anything about buying grain, and he goes, "Well, we got these guys white commercial, and they got this book, and right up there, it's on my desk. You know if." <laughs> Yeah, they'll teach you everything you need to know. And I go, nice. that book? I go, yeah, that book. I go, I read that book. And uh, so he's like, well, when do you want to start? So, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that's my art merchandising Don Perfect. White story. So Yeah, yeah I know. So. He'd love to hear that story. That's incredible. So And, you know, folks, uh, we're getting short on time here, but uh, a couple of things, you know, Obviously, thank you very much, Colin, for joining us and, and taking the time uh, to be on the on this episode of the podcast. And for all of you out there that uh, may have grain to sell in the Beardsley, Napa, greater metro area in South Dakota, give this guy a call. Look him up. And uh, please check out uh, the project that Colin's working on. Like I said, at Colin, Wils- Colin J. Wilson on Twitter, he has a link to his, uh, the grain stack. And, and check it out. And give him feedback. Let him know. Uh, um what what you think because he's obviously looking to 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 help folks and this is a good way that to help him help you so to speak and then obviously for us at the elevators cut reach out at the elevators cut on twitter at weevil hog at hog wheeler one of us will argue or respond to you in due time um it may be randy it could be randy sometimes we put him in front of a keyboard but usually not we found out he's a good chauffeur today so um that's good 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 is a subjective term very But no, you probably follow us on Twitter, but if you don't, uh, feel free to. And when we put this episode out, we will we'll definitely link to Cullen, uh, his his Twitter account, as well as his, his newsletter, and we'll make sure that information is going to be available to you. Because anyways, Cullen, we really appreciate you taking some time and, and uh, letting us know about what you do and delving into that sort of thing. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, with that... This is it for this episode of The Elevator's Cut. For Jason, I'm Roger. 
And for Roger, I'm Jason. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Out. Out.